Tonight we want to look at uh, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this evening. Well, if you look back at uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, Matthew begins his gospel with these words, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And when you look at the entire book of Matthew, and especially as you look at it in light of that first verse, it really does tell us what Matthew's agenda is for writing this book. He has something he wants to tell us about, and it's Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. He's telling us, and, and if you read through the book of Matthew, you'll see that he's actually showing and proving that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one. That's the, the word Christ means anointed one, which is equivalent to the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word Messiah. And so Jesus is that one promised ever since Genesis 3, 15, 16, where God promised that a Redeemer would come and would crush the head of Satan and be bruised in doing so. And the one that the prophets, like Isaiah, prophesied about and promised would come and all oppression would cease and people would be forgiven and cleansed from their sins. Matthew is telling us that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, the one who would fulfill the promises to King David that he would always have one of his line on the throne. And, of course, Jesus is the king of kings and a son of Abraham as well. He is, he is of the lineage of Abraham, the father of the faith. Well, you see there that Matthew does have an agenda in this book. He's writing for a purpose. He wants to prove something to you. His audience was probably largely a Jewish audience. And so if you, when you're reading through this, you'll see that uh, as he's seeking to show that Jesus is the Messiah, he uses... Uh, 12 fulfillment formulas. And a fulfillment formula is simply what you see in verse 22 where it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
He says that on 12 different occasions throughout the book. He's bringing in the Old Testament scriptures to show how those scriptures were fulfilled in the life of Christ. And in fact, uh, Matthew quotes the Old Testament more than 50 times in 28 chapters. So it's full of the Old Testament as it shows that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And then in verse 18, at the beginning of our chapter, after he lays out the lineage of Jesus there in the first 17 verses of of Matthew chapter 1, he says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. And he's telling us how this Messiah, Jesus, came to be in the world. And verse 18 tells us that Mary and Joseph were betrothed to be married. Now their system of getting married was a little different than ours. A contract was drawn up between a man and woman and their families, and they were betrothed. And in that period, that was when the, the groom was to pay the bride price and the contract would be sealed, but there would be no consummation of the marriage even though there was a contract. And, and in one sense, they're considered a husband and wife, but they haven't consummated the marriage and they haven't started living together. That's going to come later. There will be a wedding procession when the, when the wedding feast is about to happen and Joseph will go to Mary's house and take her to his place and there will be a big feast that sometimes lasts for a week and they will be officially married. Well, this hasn't happened. They have a contract, but uh, they haven't consummated the marriage yet and haven't had the wedding feast yet. So you can imagine the brokenheartedness of Joseph when he comes to find out that Mary is pregnant. And of course, he assumes that there's another man in the picture. And God intervenes here. God intervenes because Joseph is going to quietly divorce her, quietly call the contract off, and then the angel appears. And the angel comes and says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That in itself is worth a sermon, that, that it was a divine birth through the power of the Holy Spirit coming over Mary, very mysterious, but it reminds us of creation when the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and God created everything, and this is an act of creation in some way, shape, or form that we don't quite understand where the eternal second person of the Trinity becomes a baby in the womb of Mary, and it's through the, the instrumentality of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. God is intervening through the angel into Joseph's predicament, and what Joseph's finding out is he's part of a bigger, bigger intervention. God himself is intervening for the world through this baby that was to be born. God is intervening into the world, a sinful, broken world, and God himself is taking on human flesh coming into human history and time and space in order to save people from their sins. That's what verse 21 says. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The word Jesus or the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua. And Yeshua means Yahweh saves. Yahweh is saving. Yahweh is coming into the world to save people from their sins. And look what a strong statement it is. He will save his people from their sins. Not 
he might save his people from their sins or there's a possibility that he could save his people from their sins, but he will save it. He, it is a sure thing. Christ came to earth for no other reason and he achieved that goal. We have a willing Savior, one who willingly laid down his life for sinners such as we are. And we can be assured that that salvation is complete. He will save his people from their sins. We all, we all have sinned. We're all only worth, worthy of having judgment laid down upon us. But God showed mercy to us in the person of Christ. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he saves people from their sins. So Matthew is really giving us a lot of detail about the mission of Jesus here, tells us a lot throughout the book about who Jesus is and what he came to do, and revealed how, as I mentioned before, so many ways that he fulfills the Old Testament prophecies. But we must ask ourselves a further question. Why does he do this? Why does he save his people from their sins? Is it just so we can go to heaven? Yeah, well, that's a... That's a good byproduct of it. We can be with the Lord forever, but that's, that's, we're starting to touch on the reason for it when we say we're going to go and be with the Lord forever. See, it's all about having a relationship with the Lord. God desires to know us. God desires to commune with us. And don't think of that word simply in the terms of the communion table. Uh, that's what it means. We're having a relationship, fellowship with the Lord. God came to us because he wanted to know us. He wanted to walk with us. And that's what it says here, doesn't it? In the fulfillment formula. This, uh, verse 23, Behold, it fulfills, Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, God is coming to be with us. The greatest assurance that Israel had in the Old Testament was knowing that God was with them. You know, they had the temple, it's, it, you know, they had the tabernacle, and then they had the temple. And you remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, and the glory of God filled the temple. And they could look to that place and say, yes, God is with us. He abides in the temple. He's there in the Holy of Holies. And that's where he meets us, through the priests. But here is God promising to be with us. He himself is coming to us to be with us so he can have a relationship with us. So communion with God is something that is, is important to God. And what is the chief end of man? What's our, what's our highest purpose? As the catechism says, it's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, to have a relationship with our creator. That's why he came to save us from our sins because he's a holy God, and sinners can't come into his holy presence. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. We need to be forgiven in order to come and have a relationship with the Lord. It's interesting, when you look at the book of Matthew, right here at the very beginning, we have this introduction to the Messiah, Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and then we learn that he's going to save his people from their sins and that he is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And you look at the very end of the book. What is the very last sentence of the book of Matthew? It's the Great Commission, right? The Great Commission. 
where God, where Jesus says to the disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you always to the end of the age. So from the very beginning of the book of Matthew to the very end, it kind of is an inclusio, is what they call inclusio in, uh, in English studies, where you have something at the beginning and something at the end. It kind of is a bookend to the whole book, so to speak. And it's a point that Matthew's making, that God is with us and he's promised to be with us to the end of the age, to have a relationship with him. Well, several months ago, I told you about Brother, Brother Lawrence. Uh, he was a monk back in, in the 1400s, uh, I believe, maybe even earlier than that. But his writings were compiled in a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And he was uh, at the monastery working in the kitchen, and he didn't like that very much. He did it for 15 years. But he learned from God's grace how to rejoice among the pots and the pans and his dishpan hands at doing little things for the love of God. He would have preferred to change jobs and do something larger, more important. Um, he would have liked that, but he was stuck. But over time, however, he noticed that maybe sanctification, being holy, does not depend so much on changing our activities as it does on doing them for God rather than for ourselves. For this reason, grace began to teach him that the most effective way of communicating with God was simply to do the work set before him. He said, our actions should unite us to God when we are in our daily activities, just as our prayers unite us to him in our private devotions. See, Brother Lawrence learned how to walk with God and have a relationship with God, even when he was doing the daily activities of washing dishes. Everything he did was before God, before his face. He had a living, vital relationship with him because he knew that God was with him. Now this Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, and maybe we're thinking about the virgin birth and that, that amazing fact, we're thinking about Jesus being the Savior, we're thinking about all the facts of Jesus' life, about the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the wise men, all of these Wonderful stories that point us to Christ and that are very important, but we need to move from studying about the life of Jesus and learning about who he is and what he did for us to that place where we are communing with him and worshiping him in our own hearts, in our own lives, every moment of the day. And that's what Christmas is all about, that God came to us to have a relationship with us. And if we're not enjoying him in our lives and, and having a relationship with him in our lives, then we're missing out on the real meaning of what Christmas is all about, that Jesus came into the world to save us from our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. So tonight, if you've never thought about that or maybe you don't really have a relationship with God, it's just a matter of calling out to him. He's a very willing savior, as I said. He desires to save sinners from their sins. That's what he came to do. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved 
to have a relationship with him. And you can pray to him and, and sing to him and know that he hears you and is with you. He's promised to be with you always to the end of the age. Let's rejoice in our great Savior and walk with him, especially as we think about entering a new year in the coming week or so, that uh, make 2021 the year when we're communing with the Lord and walking with him very closely through the salvation that he has granted us, the forgiveness that he's given us. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks and praise for the indescribable gift of salvation that you have given us, that sinners such as we are, with our rebellion, our darkness of our hearts, our twisted wills, our wrong actions, our warped thoughts, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us, cleanse us, and help us, Lord, to know what it is to walk with you, living by faith, trusting in your word that you have given us. Thank you, Lord, for the reassurance that you've given us in Matthew and throughout the rest of Scripture, all the wonderful promises that you will save us from our sins. That's one of them. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for everything that you've promised us. And may we walk with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.